1 John 2, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know what he is doing because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'll stop there for today. A concern that I have had and I've voiced to you on other occasions is that for some years now, there has been a trend that has developed in most, it seems, of our evangelical churches to give most of their attention to the application of Christian principles and Christian concepts, while at the same time speaking less and less about the teachings of who God is, about His person. And I see an inherent flaw within that trend. To concentrate always upon application at the expense of getting to know who God really is. And so as we begin this message today, I'd like for us to take some time to simply think about and ponder the person and the nature of God. What it is that makes God who He is and why He is so different from you and me. And I'll ask this question. As you read all of these blessed words of Scripture that God's given in this Bible, do you listen carefully to His voice as He speaks through these words? Too often I do not. I tend to read and I enjoy the general meanings that God gives, but then I move very quickly on to the next verse. But sometimes, and not often enough, I linger for a while and I listen to hear His voice. And it's in those times that I'm able to hear sweet sounds that I've never heard before. Loving words of wisdom and favor and encouragement and assurance. Words of love and joy and peace and patience. A voice that calls out to me and calls me out from the tremors of my daily life and says to me, come and sit for a while with Him and enjoy an intimate communion with God. Thankfully, God has done that with some of these words that I've read here from 1 John. Early in the week as I began to read and to study these words, I could hear the Spirit of God saying to me that I should put aside all the many difficult matters of the day and to come and sit with Him for a while and learn of Him. Jesus worded it in Matthew 11 this way. He said, Come to Me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take My yoke upon you 
and learn of me, for I am gentle and I am lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here in these words of 1 John, God is reminding us of some very meaningful things about Himself. About Himself. About His divine nature. About His divine being. And then He's reminding us about who we are. And what we really ought to be doing with the things that He tells us. The first reminder about God's divine being is, as I said earlier, that He is light. He is light. That's a concept that doesn't immediately resonate with us. Most ordinary minds seem to quickly pass right on by that word. And I've done that so many, many times. As I mentioned, I've read... Psalm 27, most every day for many years. But this time as I tarried with Him for a while and I pondered the thought of Him being light, I found that a pleasant delight, it's the only way I can explain it, began to enter into my soul. I thought, Lord, I know about light, but I don't know about Your light. What do You want me to know about Your light? And while I've said often that God doesn't speak out loud to me, though I really wish that He would, He did make me to hear some things from these words. First, that His light is more than just about illumination of that which is around us or a brightness of that which is around us, though that is exactly also what it is. His light is what gives power to the sun that shines. His light is what causes the plants to grow. But more than that, His light expresses something about Him, about His nature, about His being. Now to simply say that He is different from you and me is not adequate enough words. God really is singularly different from us. So different that only the unction of the Holy Spirit can make us to understand how important that differentness is. And He says that to us, by the way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that the only way you're going to understand these inmost attributes of God is by the Holy Spirit ministering it to us. But He is so very different. His differentness sets us apart from Him. It sets Him apart from everything that's created. Everything that exists. And that's a very important understanding that you and I have to have. Yes, we want to be one with Him, but He is forever separate from us. And that is necessary. And it's necessary for us to understand about that differentness because in our desire to comprehend God, instead of our being willing to step up towards Him, Our rational minds tend to try to bring Him down to our level. I'll have to say that in most every conversation I've ever been in, people rationalize who God is down at their level. And there's something wrong with that. Something very wrong with that. We cannot bring Him down to our level to make Him more like us. Because He isn't. 
He isn't. God really is in every way different from His created creatures. And His use here of this word light is one of the ways of helping us to comprehend that differentness. Existing things, by their nature, are physical and they're perishable. They have a life cycle to them. They age, they deteriorate, and they die. But God's being never ages. It never deteriorates. He is spirit, and He is light with no possibility of deterioration within His being. He simply always and eternally is. He is. That's why He could say to Moses, My name is I Am. I am that I am. God is, always has been, always will be. And the brilliance of this perfect light in which there is no darkness at all, he has said here in these words, it expresses this perfect purity. We try to explain the pureness of a diamond by saying whether or not it has a flaw within it. His light has no flaw within it. He is perfectly pure, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, without even one spot, stain, wrinkle, or blemish. Without even one thought ever passing through His mind or one response coming from His hand that has a fault or an error within it. Why do I say that? Because... Literally every day of your life, you'll hear someone indict God for crimes. Why did God allow 9-11? Why did God allow Katrina? Why did God do this or that? That's wrong, folks. That's bringing God down to our level. Deciding whether or not He's right or wrong or if He has a flaw within Him, we get to be His judge. No. No. He is perfectly pure and perfectly holy and perfectly righteous without any spot or stain or wrinkle or blemish. And within Him there is an imaginable power within His nature, within that light. Power that can create. I recall reading those words of Genesis just this morning. With that power He created all of the heavens and the earth And there's an integral relationship with His light in that creation. He has the power to create. That power can also destroy. In a moment, in the instant, the the flickering of an eye, He can destroy. And He'll do that at the end of days. In a moment, the earth and everything in it will disappear. Awesome power to destroy. Also recall the words of Exodus 33 where God said to Moses, You can't see my face, for no man can see me and live. There is an extreme severity that's present within God's divine purity and holiness and light. And realizing that severity helps me to better understand the warning that He gave to Moses. If Moses had been able to look directly at the brilliance and power of God's light, he would have immediately been burnt up. His body, fleshly body would not have been able to withstand it. So in love, God took these great precautions to protect Moses. He put him in this cleft of the rock and only allowed him to just barely see the glow 
of the light as he passed by. Folks, our God is so pure and so holy and so righteous that nothing in all existence can bear to withstand the power of what I would call this white-hot holiness and purity and righteousness that pours forth from the light of His being. And realizing all that helps me to understand why unholy things will ever be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why is that important for you and me to know? It's because too many people want to believe that because God is love, He will figure some way to relent and to let them in their unholiness come on into heaven. But folks, that cannot be so. It cannot be so. If any person were allowed to step foot into God's heavenly presence without having first been cleansed completely from every sin, from every sin, from every flaw, every stain, every wrinkle, every blemish by the blood of Jesus, that light of God's white hot holiness would immediately obliterate them. Think about that for a moment. That's what God is saying to us here. We must first be changed. Changed from this earthly body that is perishable, that is corruptible into a heavenly body. One without even one impurity of sin remaining within it. Washed perfectly clean by the blood of Jesus. Listen to these words in 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Nothing sinful is going to be allowed into heaven. God's not just that old grandfatherly kind of guy who's going to say, oh, well, okay. It says here, nor does perishable inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Very simple words. It is only impurity and holiness washed clean by the blood of Christ that we will be able to enter in to the pure and holy kingdom of God and into His presence. Pondering God and His being and His ways as we're doing here is so precious to me. It has been so very precious, especially this past week as I've spent so much time on it. But you know, some would ask and actually protest, is it really necessary for me to go to the depths of learning such things as this? Can't I just simply get into heaven by trusting God to save me? And yes, a person may well be able to do that. But folks, that is not God's desire for you and me. He wants each of us to truly know Him and not just to know about Him. I thought perhaps that reluctance is part of the great apostasy that's taking place within the church today. Many churchgoers are very content with only knowing about God and never venturing to really get to know Him intimately. And that should not be. That should not be. Our God is 
wonderful and amazing and He really is pure and holy and righteous. And if we ever hope to be eternally in His presence, we really do need to be more than just mildly interested in who He is. By telling us here that we are to walk in the light as He is in the light. He's saying to us that we're going to need to get up real close to Him and to learn what His nature is all about. And folks, up close is where that white hot light of His holiness is. And if we aren't prepared for that kind of life-changing power, we will surely burn out in our attempts to be a Christian. And how many times have you seen that take place? Folks just get all involved in trying to be a Christian and they burn out. And suddenly they're missing from the pews. But listen, if we will be willing to do what God is asking here, if we'll be willing to live in and to walk in this righteous relationship that He's asking us to, then along with all the other blessings, God will give us what He describes in the book of Peter, joy unspeakable. Joy unspeakable. So why then would we not want with all of our hearts to do that, to walk with Him? This Word tells us that in Him... In His light, there is no darkness at all. None of the misery. None of the corruption that's so common to those who walk in darkness. As we walk up close to Him, only perfect light and goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And as I have said so many times, walking in His light gives us an ability that we never had before. We're able to see things and to hear things and to know things and to do things that we've never done before and we wouldn't do otherwise. We have wisdom and insight beyond our natural abilities. But it's only as we're walking with Him in that light. We cannot walk over here in the darkness and have that wisdom and that insight. And as He's telling us here, above all else, we'll be able to love. He wants us to love. He ties all of this together with love. Recall again that the first commandment is that we love God. And the second is like unto it that we would love others as He loves us. Loving our families, our neighbors, those co-workers that are so difficult at times, business associates, strangers even. But here again, if we will stop and linger on these words... These words about love, as we did back a moment ago about His light. The Holy Spirit, who's part of this wonderful light, because you'll recall what the Holy Spirit does is illumine the things of God to us. He puts light upon the things of God. The Holy Spirit, He will start to enable us to actually become one of those people who can do what He wants us to do, like love. We can can begin to have love for other people be a doable thing. Now think about that for a moment. Especially with those people who are very unlovable. This can become a doable thing. But it's only as we respond to this unction of the Holy Spirit. Because therein lies the power to do those things. Your and my usual concept of how we're to love our fellow man is often very shallow. Very shallow. Although we will put a lot of application with it. We'll say, well, I'm just going to start to go to the soup kitchen once a week. 
We're supposed to do that. But if we don't do that with love, then we're nothing but a sounding gong, a clanging cymbal. We might take all of those words there in Matthew 25 that says, visit the sick, those in prison, do all of those things. But if we don't have this love that He's talking about here, as we go do it, the love of Christ within us, generating this behavior, we can do all of that and be nothing but a clanging gong. Love comes in many forms and in many opportunities. We spoke last week about how a mother can truly deeply love her child and a husband can love his wife. But there's so many other relationships that God's talking about here. Here He's talking about loving these people that are all around us every day, that are not part of our usual crowd, our up-close friendships. He's saying you and I have to love them. And not just do something perfunctory for them. Not just give them a ride or give them a $5 bill or something. Have you wondered how you can love that person? How does all of that become doable? It's when you and I respond to this unction of the Holy Spirit. need to get out of that darkness and out of its ways and get over into this light and to start allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us to give us this unction to care about other people. So, as I close, I want to implore us to open our hearts to this third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The next time that you sit down with your Scriptures, ask Him, the Holy Spirit, to tell you about Him. The doing of all this stuff will come afterwards. It will come as a natural sequence of having spent that time with the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to get up close to you and ask Him to let you get up close to Him so you can hear His voice. Ask Him to enable you to begin to love and to care for people in the way that He's talking about here. Let me close with these words of assurance that are given in chapter 5 of 1 John. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. See, this is so key to this understanding. How do you then love those children of God if you have not taken time to spend intimate time with God Himself and to know what His commandments are? By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments, listen, and His commandments are not burdensome. They're not hard to do. Too often we say that. I tried. I just can't seem to do it. It's because you're using the wrong power. You need the Holy Spirit's power. His commandments are not burdensome. But whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Let's pray.